This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. <laughs> you know why I'm giggling? Uh, it, myriad reasons. I cannot even guess why you're giggling. On this week's show, oh, yes. we speak with the president of NASCAR, Steve Phelps. But first, let's look of some of the other topics of the week. <laughs> you just can't wait to get to Steve Phelps. Oh, um. <laughs> Pole position, Michael Barr. Can't uh, wait. Well, first, you know what? Though? I got I never want to see anybody. I was going to say, don't take business. too much pleasure in this. No, I know no, I'm, you, I'm not I taking don't. pleasure because right, I don't right. want to see anybody lose their business. Right. Primetime sports, they are closing. That's out of uh, Colorado yeah, Springs. Again, I don't think this is like the biggest sports story of the week, right. but this is something that it's, people sure would want to know about. Right. It's an Part of why yeah. it's it involved. This was the uh, set it up bar. Yeah, let me set this up now. The owner of this uh, primetime sports, he was the one that said he was not going to sell any Nike apparel because of Colin Kaepernick and the endorsement that they had uh, with Nike, and for that reason, he stopped selling Nike. Right, and I think he also stopped selling Brandon Marshall jerseys. Yes, he did. He? Yes, he did. Well, How'd that work out for him, Bob? Well, I think as, as somebody said, uh, it's like kind of being a milk store without I think, I think he milk. said it. Yeah. Yeah, I think he said it himself. He realized that, oops, there are – what, the, what was the quote? I, I, think there's, I think there's more Kaepernick fans out there than I realized. Yeah. Yeah. But, again, he doesn't regret doing it, even though he's now closing his shop because he didn't really sell a whole lot of stuff. He says, I don't regret doing it because of my military – background or my, my affinity for the military it was disrespectful and well i put my money where my mouth was and and a backhanded great compliment to nike right you mentioned the milk yeah. comment michael the, the quote is being a sports store and not having nike jerseys is like being a milk store without milk or a gas station without gas yeah i imagine nike should make an, an advertisement around that right yeah. just, just, just what is it what are the milk ads what does it say got milk got, got milk yeah got, got, got nike got, got a business got, nike. got a business yeah. got a business uh, Pilot Flying J. Yeah, I guess they're pulling their uh, extensive advertising and sponsorship agreements with ESPN. Why? Well, I'm just going to say first on my heck drive back from Buffalo, I made my first stop ever at a Pilot Flying J. Yeah. 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 So that, you know, I have that experience now. I bought some windshield wiper fluid and I went inside. <laughs> so now at least I know of. Truckers love it. Big truck stop. Yeah, absolutely. But. They have a uh, you know an advertising deal with ESPN centered around the SEC, makes sense. Um, but ESPN wrote a story that was sort of critical of Jimmy Haslam. Of course, that's his company, and he also owns the Cleveland Browns. Browns. And the story was critical of the Browns and their operations and Haslam. And guess what? Now they pulled the business from 
ESPN. You know, one critical story. We don't want to do business with you. Yeah, I think kind of lost in this in this whole discussion, and it's something we talked about with Mike Neely, who runs the Fiesta Bowl, when when he was on the show a couple months ago. ESPN is kind of behind the scenes, in addition to being a, a major rights holder, uh, a very dominant force in the in the corporate world in college football. Right, they own the right the corporate rights to all of the SEC, which is you know one of the main areas. Pilot Flying J. Uh, was working, you know. They they own a lot of the bowls. They they control the the sponsorship to a lot of those. So as you read through the stories about Pilot Flying J, it actually presents a pretty good picture of just how intertwined ESPN's business is with a lot of of the back end of college football beyond just showing the games. You on know, TV. What I was surprised about Evan. Part of the deal was like promotion. From individual individuals yeah. at ESPN, yeah, Paul Feinbaum and Laura and, Rutledge, and there may there may be, with all due apologies to commissioners of the SEC and others, is still Mike's live? Is there others? I don't know, but <laughs> with all due apologies, if, he, if Mike's live out, I don't know. Yes, Mike's uh, live is out. All right, who's the next? Who's the commissioner of the SEC? Uh, it is. See, um, I'm asking. You, get to your computer and go. Diddle. God, I can uh, picture the guy perfectly. Okay. Gary Sankey. Okay, there we. Yes, yes, I remember. Right. Greg okay, Sankey. Paul Feinbaum. There, he may be the most powerful person when it comes to SEC. Football, he shapes opinion, and he's part of the deal. That, that's a little troubling. Is Michael Barr not sponsored by NASCAR? He should be. I want to be. <laughs> he should be. By the way, I should add the reason Haslam got upset, according to the ESPN story, it uh, said that he tightly gripped every aspect of the Cleveland organization, often creating as much chaos as he inherited, and that's. According to the story is wild. It's worth a read. You know, the the full 2018 season, Baker Mayfield, you know, the firing of the coach, Hugh Jackson, midseason, the whole thing. It's it's a good read. Uh, English soccer's Premier League. Uh, They're looking at the possibility of launching its own Netflix-style streaming service, according to the Sunday Times. I just like to go to Evan because he absolutely hates the The Netflix Netflix of soccer. (laughs) The Netflix of soccer. Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. You hate that, don't you? I do. But we do know the international rights are going up. The local rights, you know, the in-country rights went down for the EPL. So in this new world order... Can you make up, rather than sell to Sky for X dollars, what would you be able to command for a service where you put on, whether all the games or part of the games, something tells me people around the world, this OTT flat world, would pay a hefty sum per month to get their EPL. This is a natural evolution. I think American fans out there can think of the the UK sports media world from a rights standpoint as essentially what America was 10 to 15 years ago, right? It is is one big package sold largely just to uh, to a cable operator. Uh, I'm sure the, the English Premier League looks at what MLB has done, you know, with its own OTT uh, offering and, you know, NHL, NBA, you know, they've got them as well. Uh, I'm sure they're looking at that across the pond and thinking, you know, you know, that's something that we should be debating. And it doesn't, maybe you could do both. Doesn't necessarily bastardize because really the first OTT was NBA League Pass. Mm-hmm. You can still get all those games, but not your local market. So th- there is something perhaps uh, a hybrid. Sure. EPL certainly popular. Hey, man. Hi, Evan. <laughs> Evan, you know, he, he realized that the interview coming up was going to be about uh, racing. And he no, no, he realized like, it was going to be 90% bar, and he, that didn't really leave yeah, enough There, there was not room in, in <laughs> enough back. space in the room. He took the uh, yellow flag and fine. went to the inner part of the 
circle. I'll, I'll, read, the pit the stop till next yeah, I'll yeah. read the nice part of the uh, outro. Okay. All right, Eben, we love having your insight. I know you have to go take care of some business, so Scott and I will continue the show without you. You know, I, you get excited. It's the start of the NASCAR season officially now. I, the see, first I see a difference race. in you. I see a difference. You, in you. you see you see it now? You see the veins just of excitement <laughs> on my forehead here? It, the... I, I got to explain this. By the way, the president of NASCAR, Steve Phelps, is with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Michael Scott, it is a true pleasure to be on with you. Now, and I got to explain this. Only five guys have been the president of NASCAR. 70 years, only five guys. Steve Phelps, before that, Brent DeWar. Before that, Mike Helton. Brent before, was on the show, by the way. We should say yeah, that. We had Brent on right. the show. Yeah. Before that, Bill France Jr., and before that, the big guy, Bill France Sr. So you are in elite company, sir. I am. Pretty humbling. Very uh, feel very fortunate to be in the role, and uh, it's exciting. First, let's start with the Daytona 500. Now, for people who don't know, it's the Super Bowl for NASCAR. I know it's been uh, a used phrase, almost cliche, but for NASCAR fans, this is our Super Bowl. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's the great American race. It, it is, you know, it kicks off our season. Uh, so our first regular season race is the Daytona 500. Um, so some would say, hey, you have your biggest biggest race first. Um, seems like it's out of place. Um, they started running. Uh, you started running this race in, in in 59, and it is a it is a spectacle. So watching 40 cars run around this two and a half mile high bank track uh, at 200 miles an hour, you know, three wide. Uh, it, it's it's an incredible thing to watch. It's a, one of those things where you just kind of can't take your eyes off the tevel- television or whatever device that you're using, or if you're lucky enough to be here in the stands, it is it's action packed, and you're waiting for you know something incredible to happen, and and typically it does. Hey Steve, as the city slicker, let me jump in though. Why not have it at the end of the year, the culmination in the big race? What's the thinking behind beginning of season sure. and not culmination with the biggest event you've got? Well, this is that's a good that's a good question, Scott. So this is historically when we run this particular race. So it's and it historically has kicked off our season. Now what we've tried to do is, you know, borrow from our, our stick and ball brethren where we now have a playoff system. So our playoffs are ten weeks and we've got different cutoff races and kind of re rack it. Start with sixteen, then twelve then down to eight drivers, and then four four drivers running for a championship. Whoever crosses the, the finish line first wins our championship. So we've had a lot of momentum with this new format. And so the season-ending race in Miami is now a big deal as well, as Michael can tell you. So we kind of start off with a bang in, in Daytona, uh, and then we finish down in Miami uh, with just a phenomenal race. And um, you know, last year's champion was Joey Logano. He won the race. Um, and it is a, it's just a very cool, you know, kind of beginning and end to our season. Now, for people who don't understand the qualifying in NASCAR, it's a little different for the Daytona 500 than it is for the rest of the races. The the start for the day, yes, you 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 clock the laps, and obviously the the, the top two uh, have won the front row. And this year, the pole sitter is William Byron, but now comes and when we air this the duels will have already run 
And it's it's a little complicated. If you can explain that to people, what it's all about. Sure. So essentially, we have more cars here who are trying to get into the race than we actually will have run a race. So we, we have 40, 40 slots. There are 42 cars that will be running. There are certain cars that are, as uh, Michael talked about, the front row is set that was set through qualifying. Um, and so William Byron uh, is on the pole, um, and his teammate Alex Bowman will be the outside pole. And then we have two races, which are called um, the the duels, um, and, and it's sponsored by, by um Gander, Gander Outdoors, and it is, they run two, so they separate the field into two, so there'll be 21 in the first duel and 21 in the second duel. Where you finish in that race determines where you start for for the Daytona 500. There are folks that are automatically in, and there is a group of folks that are not already qualified to get in, and so they're racing their way into the Daytona 500. And as I said, two, two of them will go home. That's the only time we actually do our qualifying this way. Um, typically, qualifying happens on a on a Friday or on a Saturday uh, for the Sunday race, and it's you know it's done based on you know kind of how you how you run your speed and you set your entire field that way. We are chatting with NASCAR president Steve Phelps, and Steve, let me just pivot to the business of NASCAR a little bit. Um, this the series has hired Goldman Sachs to explore sale of a, of an LP stake in NASCAR, where does that stand, and what is the thinking behind looking at a, an investor? I can't get into the specifics about taking ISC, which is owns 12 racetracks. Um, they are a public company, and so NASCAR has made a bid to bring them, uh, to make, to bring them private. Yeah. So, and that is, um, you know, can't really talk about where we are in that particular process. Uh, what I can say is that you know, kind of the reasoning around it is we believe that it will actually make the sport much stronger. Um, you know, you, you will be making decisions if this comes through, making decisions that are in the best interest long-term of where the sport is, not just, hey, what's, what is in the best interest for that particular quarter. So there are a lot of reasons why. Um, we're excited about that opportunity. For us, we're on a day-to-day basis, we're just, you know, we're moving forward as if you know we are NASCAR and they are ISC and and they're doing the same thing. So we're very very focused on you know making the racing it can be doing it in a cost effective way, giving the fans exactly what they want from a racing product standpoint. Um, and then obviously we're out talking to to new sponsors and we have a new sponsorship model that we're putting in place. So a lot of things that are going on that are incredibly positive for the sport, so very bullish on where we're going in the future. Yeah, you have been quoted as saying you need to reset the narrative on NASCAR sure. and, that, and that NASCAR struggling, track attendance down, television ratings. What is then, if that's the incorrect narrative, or is it just changing to what you are doing looking forward? Yeah, I think it's a changing to what we're doing forward. Listen, they, we have had some, you know, some ratings declines. They are what they are. You've had some de- attendance declines. In fairness, everybody would, across TV has had ratings declines. So there's, no, there's no question. And so what, we, what we're trying to do is we're making sure that we're trying to service that fan wherever they are. So, yes, on balance, all television is down. You know, people are consuming sports and entertainment in a different way. So... We want to make sure we're servicing them properly, so digitally, socially, 
you know, whatever offerings that we can provide to them, both from a, you know, race day experience standpoint, as well as content that we would push throughout the week. So, yes, the, the you know, getting back to the original question, you know, it, it is a moving forward position. And so, essentially, the, you know, kind of the change in the narrative isn't, hey, just be positive. It's, it's, hey, we have new leadership at NASCAR. So Jim France is our chairman and CEO, and he has been since August of last year. And Jim has a vision for where he wants the sport to go. Um, and we have a plan that we are executing, uh, executing against. And you can, you can feel this industry. The narrative actually is already changing. So you can say, hey, go change the narrative or be positive. You have to do it with with things that are going to drive your business. And that's what we're doing. So when you hear team owners or, you know, track presidents or uh, our broadcast partners or our auto manufacturers or sponsors, there's a momentum that we are feeling as a sport that I think is going to, you know, manifest itself in very positive ways for the sport, including what happens from an attendance standpoint and what happens from a rating standpoint. We're speaking with the president of NASCAR, Steve Phelps. You made a quote uh, not too long ago, and you said that uh, in a way that NASCAR kind of lost its way. Uh, can you explain more on that and expand more on that and what you meant? Sure. You know, I think, Michael, there, there was a, a school of thought at one point that um, by, by NASCAR's leadership that our hardcore fans – would always be with us, that there's nothing we could do or say that would drive our fans away. And I think there was a bit of, you know, I'm calling it an arrogance, but it, it, it was, we're not going to do that. So we, we created um, years ago, actually, a, a fan council, which is made up of 25,000 of our most avid fans. Before that, I think the fans were, thought of it as, hey, NASCAR is just not listening to what we have to say. NASCAR doesn't care what we have to say. And I think there was some of that. So when I'm talking about losing our way and we're not listening to our fans, it's not something that was a year ago. This is, this is you know, a decade ago. Um, but so we've been on this journey to make sure that our hardcore fans, our most avid fans, that we're giving them what they want. And that is through, you know, trying to create the best racing product we can, trying to deliver things at places where they're going to be, whether that's on television, digitally, socially, you know, the pushing of content, all those things we get better and stronger each year. So last year, we, uh, for example, we had four or five different groups that were part of our, that created content. We created a central content group. And that central content, content group pushes content throughout the week and on the weekends that we know our fans would be interested in, both from a hardcore fan standpoint and then like any franchise, any business, we need to bring new folks into the franchise. So we need a, a, you know, a new audience that comes in. We're going to speak to that audience in some ways much differently than we're going to speak to our, to our most avid fans. And we need to do that. And they'll be actually in different channels. They'll be you know, kind of spoon-fed different things. There may be a different way for them or as we talk to them that will be slightly different than what we're doing or talking to our most avid fans. We're speaking with the president of NASCAR, Steve Phelps, and uh, we have to bring up a brand-new rule this year, and it's important 
uh, along with the business of sports, and I'll and I'll connect the two. Uh, I call it the DQ rule that that is out there. Can you first of all, can you explain that to uh, the listening audience, and then I want to get back to why it's important, especially involving sure. sponsors. Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, Mike, we do have a new rule, right? And so we are going to inspect uh, and l- look at how we uh, inspect the cars differently. So we've had things up front that we're doing differently. So if there is a an infraction, the team gets, you know, gets an opportunity to try to fix it. Um, and if they don't, then there are penalties that, that start to be incurred. So the uh, something called the car chief will be asked to, to leave the racetrack and, and to head home, um, penalizing, restricting practice time, things of that nature. So that's the kind of upfront piece. And then typically what we would do is we would take uh, a number of cars, including the winner, we'd take them back to our research and development facility in North Carolina, and we'd break that car down to see if there were infractions. If there were infractions, then we wouldn't, they would incur a penalty. And some of those are you know, a significant number of points as well as a financial uh, hit from a, you know, penalty standpoint. So what we've decided to do this year, instead of doing that and then coming out with a penalty on Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, we're going to break down the cars, the first and second cars, at the racetrack. And so within, you know, roughly two hours of the race concluding, um, you know, we will give the thumbs up side that the, the cars have passed inspection. If they do not pass inspection, than one or the other, then they will lose. It's almost like they didn't come to the racetrack. They will get last place points. They will get last place money, uh, and they will forfeit their win. And the guy, if if it's the the guy who had won the race that is DQ'd, then the guy who came in second is now the winner of the race, and everyone moves up a slot. Steve, you know what this is going to do away with in this new world we live in? You can't tear up your betting slip right when the race is right. over. You better hold on to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, and that's actually a really a, a good. That's a good question, right? Um, in there, which is, hey, from a, we're allowing, we're being aggressive on the sports betting front, and so, you know, that happens in real time, and so there is going to be a, a winner that is declared, and and when that's done, the the, the betting is, I mean, the betting is. Um, is going to be, um, you know, you're, you're going to pay out on those odds when that happens. So, and that's a that's a you know part of the difficulty of this because you can't you can't inspect the car in a you know in a in 60 seconds. It you, you literally are tearing down the car to make sure that things are within code. Well, here's the thing that, and I want to connect this to the sponsors. If a car is DQ'd. The sponsors obviously are not going to be happy, and that could result in the loss of a sponsorship. Uh, and and that's, that's something the NASCAR teams are going to have to uh, keep in mind. It's like, all right, let's see how far I really want to push this because I, I could blow my whole sponsorship deal. Well, that's exactly right, Michael. And that's, this is meant to be a very large deterrent. So bring your car. You know, bring it legal and, you know, get up to the line, you know, kind of the box that we put you in, get up to the, the line of keeping it legal. But if you go up over the line, we are going to DQ you. And that is something that is, that, that's new for us. We've never done that. It is important. Um, 
are there sponsor implications to it? There are sponsor implications to it. If I'm a sponsor, I don't want to be involved with, you know, someone who is being disqualified. And so that sponsor, I'm sure, will voice their displeasure with whatever team that is, and they will bring a, a legal car to the racetrack. Do you think this? Will, do you think these things will be written into sponsor contracts? A certain amount of DQs? I mean, because nobody wants that, like you said, reputational association. Sure. I have no idea. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised um, if that, that were the case. I mean, we've had on the positive side, we've had sponsors and or drivers where they're being rewarded for making our playoffs, right, or making to the championship four. Um, or winning the title. Um, could there be something in here? Yeah, because there are reputational things that, that, are, you know, that are in play here. And listen, we don't want this to be the story. You know, the story should be about the racing. The story needs to be about the winner. Um, you know, are we going to have a disqualification this year? I don't know. I sure, I sure hope not. Um, but it's our job to officiate and do it fairly and to make sure that you know, all the competitors are playing by the same rules. What about stars? Uh, everybody knew Dale Earnhardt. I mean, I'm talking about sure. the casual fan like me. Uh, certain names I know, certain faces I know. I'm saying for me, I would have a hard time identifying, I think, the people you would identify as the biggest sure. stars in NASCAR. How do you create stars? Yeah, that's a good question. Listen, I think we've had a, a crop of drivers who have retired who were you know, household names in some questions, uh, some uh, respects, right? You have Daryl Earnhardt Jr., or you have Jeff Gordon, or Tony Stewart, Danica Patrick. Um, those are big stars. And so we've had all those retire in the last, and some others as well, um, who've retired in the last three years. So it's our job to work with our race teams and our drivers to try to build their brands, which is exactly what we're doing. Now, part of it has to play on the racetrack. So there's a job for them to do off the racetrack. And they're promoting the sport. They're promoting their sponsors is a big is a big part of that. So what we try to do is we try to make sure that we are we are doing everything we can to make them to make them household names. Um, if you're going to do that, you have to make sure they're winning on the racetrack. And so these young drivers, and we probably have the single best crop of young drivers that we've had in two decades, and we need them. Um, and these young drivers are coming in, and they're, you know, in some cases they're they're diverse, um, and like Bubba Wallace Jr. or Danny Suarez, who's from Mexico. Um, some of them are legacy drivers, like uh, uh, Chase Elliott, who's Bill Elliott's uh, son, or Ryan Blaney, uh, who's who's Dave Blaney's son, and some other folks that are coming up. They're young, they're aggressive, they're hungry. They're social and digital natives, so they're, they understand the importance of, of doing that. Um, we do things from an entertainment perspective with them to put them on television shows and adjacencies with music people. And um, it, it's important for us to, you know, kind of expose who they are uh, to both our most avid fans as well as these casual fans or folks who will be test driving you know, NASCAR in the future. Let's keep this in mind. As this is nothing new to NASCAR. This this happened in the eighties when Sterling Marlin, when he came into the sport. I remember Bobby Allison saying, or Buddy Baker saying, it's like the first day of school. Who are these new kids coming in here? So we no we've experienced this before. No, and I think that that's it's exactly right. So we've got you know first ballot Hall of Fam- NASCAR Hall of Famers who are racing with these young kids. You know, Kevin Harvick, Jimmy Johnson, seven time. Uh, you know, seven-time winner of the championship, um, Kyle Busch, um, 
Kurt Bush. I mean, these guys are all Hall of Famers. And so it's kind of a, a unique time. But it, you're, you're right, Michael. It has always happened that way, right? So literally the Kings, Richard Petty's last race was Jeff Gordon's first right. race. That's right. And, it, you know, a, a passing of the torch that we didn't know at that particular point, but exactly what it was. And it happens, you know, every decade, right? You're going to have this wave. And so I think this is a, a phenomenal, good young crop who want to do things to promote this sport. And we're going to lean on them hard in order to do that because that's how the drivers are the show. Um, just like every other sport, it's, it is about the athlete. Uh, no different in our sport. And so we're, you know, we're really excited about what the future holds for us on so many different levels, including the driver front. Steve Phelps, the president of NASCAR, uh, of course, I'm going to have my chicken wings and I'm going to have my Doritos and I'm going to have everything all set. I'm going to be ready to watch the Daytona 500. Oh, my goodness. Tune in, folks. Steve Phelps, thank you so much, sir. We appreciate your time. Michael Scott, thank you for your time as well. Appreciate uh, you having me on. Takeaways. Okay, I, I have to say this, and I'm about to pour my heart out before everybody. Music. Here we go. <laughs> Harps. Bef- I, the first sport I ever got into yeah. was racing. Yeah. Then I got into bowling. Don't, yeah. don't, don't please. Man, anyway. you, you are just like an over-the-top direct-to-consumer guy. Two ninety-nine. <laughs> Broke your heart. I, I, the Daytona Where's 500 is? Is, is very near and dear to me. And I every year from when I was a wee lad up until now, you know, geezerdom. Uh, I always said, "Hey, it's time for even." You kicked the family out. You I, told I us. did you from the, the Daytona 500. Out. Even when they used to run the the 500 on the old wide world of sports, they didn't run it live back then. You had to wait until you know it, it came on that that weekend. Yeah, and uh, I'll never forget that. So, uh, to me, the takeaway here is uh, for NASCAR fans, uh, this is uh, our Super Bowl. And uh, I am all right. Well, sacrilegious then. I could probably take it if it was the Daytona 50. (laughs) I can't do 500. Well, you know what? There was a time when they really deducted, I think, what was it, 50 laps because of the gas shortage in 74. Perfect. That's only still, what is that, like 200 laps? Wait a minute, I have a question. Is that why they call it the 500? Because they do 500 laps? 500 miles. 500 miles. Oh my God. It's a two and a half mile track? It's a two and a half mile track. Oh, look at me. But what they did was it's, you know, because they cut it short 50 miles, which then became the Daytona 450, but they counted it starting as lap 25. Right, right, right. So that that was the way it was done. So. Be funny if it was like really gas shortage days where if you had remember even in odd days whether you were odd or even on your license plate. Oh, oh yeah. you don't right. get gas today. Sorry, right. you can't race. <laughs> get out, get out. X two five one two three. My, my fa- we had two cars back then, two like these old panel yeah. station wagons. My father used to send me out, and I had to switch the license plates on the cars for the drive. <laughs> I'm just saying we did. I'm sure other people have did that when they were young. I was in charge of switching the plate of which our which car needed gas and what day it was. Pulled at the corner of Oki and Doak. That's right. <laughs> My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Number of the week. Now, I'm going to work it backwards. Okay. This is the Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. What number is it? What number, Daytona 500? Yes. 
happened? Did they start running this thing? Uh, let me think. He said it in the interview. Um, Bowen Luke Duke ran the first one, <laughs> won by Roscoe P. Coltrane. Um, Boz Hogg took the second one. I have no idea. 73. No. Oh. No. 110. No. The first race was 1959. <laughs> too, too much math. Okay. 60, 40, 60 something. Yeah. <laughs> 61st running See, of the I, Daytona I 500. <laughs> he didn't want me to get side. It was good. Thank you, Medina. Six, that was, that yeah. was close. I that was tried. Close. I, I was way off. I was like, I mean, like people are going to listen to this and say, man, he really is a moron. No. You have been listening, for me, in a very special one, to a Bloomberg Business of Sports show. And we're here each and every week at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. And you can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr at Big Bar Sports on Twitter. Let's give a shout-out to Eben since he's not here. And, and I like the guy. Come on, we both know we all we all like Eben. So, by the way, you can catch him on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please continue to tune in this week when we speak about the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Bloomberg.